This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Out of curiosity, how many of you have heard that song before? How many of you have never heard the song in your entire life? Let me see your hands. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to get a life. That is a good, good song. Thank you for a blast from the past. John chapter 6 will provide the foundation for our thoughts. John chapter 6, and I know you brought your Bibles unless you have the book of John memorized. Uh, It's always a good idea to bring uh, God's Word to His house. When my girls were growing up, I, I traveled quite a bit out of the country for missions, and when I would arrive back home, typically I would be met at the door by my girls, and, and they would give me a big hug and act excited to see me, but I knew I really wasn't what they were excited about. What excited them was that they knew that their daddy always brought them a surprise. And so after the initial hug, they would invariably sometimes just be bouncing up and down, say, Daddy, what did you bring me? Did you bring me a surprise? And of course, the answer was always yes. And so even though many times I had been traveling 24 to 36 hours across 10 to 15, 18 time zone, different time zones, I would, I would put my suitcase down and bring out their little surprise. And I think most of us can relate to those kinds of things, whether at the level of a parent or the level of a child. But here's the thing. In our journey of following Christ, whether we realize it or not, we do the exact same thing. We start out our prayers, you know, dear Heavenly Father, and then we almost always get in the statement, thank you for this day which is okay, but then it's predictable after those initial pleasantries, we jump into asking God for stuff. Um, we, we, we say, God, what surprise do you have for me today? Um, God, I, I need this. Uh, God, help this to work out. Bless me, God. Bless me. Even though we have more stuff than 99% of the rest of the world, we're always asking God for more. Bless me, God. And of course, just like an earthly father, our heavenly father loves to give good gifts to his children, and he does bless us. Amen? But the problem with a relationship in which you are mainly interested in trying to get something is that it's impossible to have a deep and authentic relationship. And this is true not only in our relationship with God, but it's true in our, our marriage. If we view our relationship with our husband or, or our wife as a means to get instead of give, then our relationship with them will be shallow. Same way with our friends. If, if we always have ulterior motives, you know, we, we look at someone as a friend because they can help us. Um, if that's the way we view it, then the friendship will never go to a deep, authentic level. And our lesson today is about a whole bunch of people that wanted a relationship with Jesus, 
but it was only because of what he could give them or would give them. Now, for the third week in a row, we're, we're in the book of John, and, and we didn't start out that way necessarily, but I just can't get away from, from this book. And in chapter 6, Jesus has just left Jerusalem. He's got about, gone about 100 miles north to the Sea of Galilee. And it appears, you know, as I studied, one of the reasons that Jesus and his disciples had gotten out of Jerusalem because Jesus' second cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. And no doubt, Jesus, yes, he was fully God, but, but he was also fully human. And so probably the, the human aspect, also the God aspect, he was grieving. And he needed some time away. And, and so he and his small band of followers left Jerusalem, went to Galilee, which was a more remote part of the country. And that's where we will pick up the story, John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, meaning sometime after Jesus came back to Galilee from Jerusalem, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. But what happened there was what always happened with Jesus, verse 2, and a great crowd of people followed him. Now, were they following Jesus because they were committed to him, because they loved him? No, during this period of time, very few people followed Jesus because of commitment. Rather, here's the reason the crowds followed him, because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. So, try to catch the setting here. Jesus and his disciples have left Jerusalem to get away from the crowds. They go out of their way, way out of their way, to get way away from people. And then to put even more distance between them and the crowds, once in Galilee, they take a boat across the Sea of Galilee, which would have been 8 to 10 miles across. They get to the other side, and would you believe, word had somehow gotten around that Jesus was coming. They look into the distance. They see hundreds of people coming towards them, thousands of people making their way towards them. So what do you think they did? Verse 3 Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Do you ever just need to get away from people and sit down? Just as a reminder for for me, for you, it is not a sign of weakness to sit down on occasion. It's not a sign that you're unspiritual to just sit down. You know, sometimes after being around people on Sunday and throughout the week, and even though I love what I do, I can't imagine doing anything else, and I love being with you, there are those times, just like you, I need to get away and sit down. And that's what Jesus did. The people were coming. He looked in the distance and went up the hillside, sat down. Well, as John is documenting this story, he then gives us a little detail that that frankly seems out of place. He inserts a a seemingly random statement that appears to have nothing to do with anything about the account. You know, it's like, uh, who was it? Was it Claire talking about something? Squirrel. You know, all of a sudden, just squirrel. And and sometimes we're we're, we're like that. And and so it's as if John is telling them, okay, they're going across the Sea of Galilee, and then he inserts what seems to be a random statement, but it's not random. Because if you'll keep reading, you will see that John put this statement in there to prepare us for what will happen later on in the story. Here's the seemingly random statement. They went across to the Sea of Galilee. Random. 
the Jewish Passover feast was near. What? Now, many of you would know what Passover is. Initially, it was the celebration of God's goodness when God, through Moses, led the people out of, out of Egypt. But as the years went by, Passover had also become more than just a celebration. It became an annual reminder that they needed another Moses to deliver them. Or they needed another Joshua who, of course, became Moses' successor. Or, or someone that perhaps came to their minds because it was more recent was Judas Maccabeus. Let me just tell a little bit about Judas Maccabeus. This was not Judas Iscariot that betrayed Jesus. This was Judas Maccabeus. During the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Seleucid king named Antiochus IV, or he chose to be called Antiochus Epiphanes because Epiphanes means God manifest, and he liked that. But what he did, Antiochus outlawed Jewish religious practices, and he desecrated the temple, and some of you have heard this, but, but he took a pig into the temple and sacrificed that pig to the God of Zeus. That's the worst thing you could ever do to the Jewish people. Well, under the leadership of Judas Maccabeus, and, and the word Maccabeus means hammer, so Sometimes they referred to him as Judas the Hammer, but, but under his leadership, he let the hammer down, and, and the Jews were able to recapture Jerusalem and rededicate the temple, and that happened in 175 B.C., and so as people remembered back, you know, you had Moses, you, you had Joshua, and then they remembered Judas Maccabeus because he was one of their heroes, but anyway, Passover became a reminder that, that they needed another Moses. They needed another Joshua. They needed another Judas the Hammer that could galvanize and, and unite the nation and throw the Romans out. Well, the story continues on. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up and, here it is again, saw a great crowd coming toward him. Let me just say this. I know they were way more spiritual than I am, but I have a suspicion as they saw the people coming, they had to think, really? You've got to be kidding. Can, can they give us just a, a little bit of space? And, and, and I don't know what Jesus did, but I, I kind of, you know, Jesus knew that the people were a lot like us and they didn't so much want him. They wanted what he could give them. You know, they wanted another surprise, another miracle, another trick that they could go home and talk about. Um, well, well, Jesus here turns and, uh, and shocks one of his other disciples named Philip. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, now Philip had to be like, uh, Jesus, what did you just say? Um, don't you remember, we don't feed people, we heal people. Because if we start feeding people, they will be like people 2,000 years down the road in Eldorado Springs, Missouri. You know, where you offer them free food, they will come out of the woodwork. And they will even try to sneak through the food line twice. I remember when we were doing our freedom fest and we were giving out free food, man, people would come through the line and then they'd try to sneak through again. And, and, and so I have a feeling that, that Philip said, what? what? What do you mean, feed the people? 
Well, Jesus in verse 6 said, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, if you grew up in church, as many of you did, you know this story as well as I do, but at this point in the story, not one of Jesus' disciples is planning to feed anybody. That's never been part of the strategy. That's, that's never been part of the conversation. Well, when Jesus says, Philip, where are we going to get enough food to feed these people? In verse 7, and Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have, listen, a bite. Not, not a piece of bread, a bite of a piece. Now, some people have suggested that maybe the reason Jesus turned to Philip specifically was because Philip was a local from this area. And and so it was like, Philip, you know, you're local, you're raised here, you know this place like the back of your hand, you know where all the good restaurants are, you know where all the good food trucks are, and where can we get enough food to feed all of these people? And, and, and Philip's answer is, uh, did you forget where we are, Jesus? We are in the middle of nowhere. Plus, we don't have money in the budget for this. And, and again, if you grew up in church, you know the story, and... and uh, You've seen paintings of this. You've seen the cartoon cartoon version of this. And I've even seen this on the old flannel graph. Anybody know what a flannel graph is? Anybody? Some of you young people need to Google it, okay? Flannel graph. Um, That that was the equivalent of our PowerPoint presentations back 50 years ago. But but anyway, what comes next in in verses 8 and 9... I think was meant to be funny. I think it was meant as, as a joke. Maybe not, but, but Jesus says, Philip, where can we get some food to feed this crowd? And verse 8, another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, and probably the fish were pickled fish. So you've got thousands of people there. Jesus wants to feed them all. Andrew says, guys, I've got some good news. I found some food. And they say, Really? Yes, I've come up with five small loaves and two fish. And in my mind, I think the disciples laughed and said, Andrew, you are so funny. But for Jesus, this wasn't a joke. And Jesus said, oh, good, since we have some food, in verse 10, have the people sit down. Do what? Uh, Usually people line up for food. He said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And then John gives us a little detail that I think is a detail that will connect that random statement about the Passover with this next little detail. And the men, here it is, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Now, question. Why does John just mention the men? Which, by the way, means that if there were 5,000 men with the women and children, the crowd was probably at least 20,000 strong. But why did John just mention the men? Was it because he didn't respect women? Was he a male chauvinist? I don't think so. You know, after reading from others that are a lot smarter than I am, there's a very, I think, plausible explanation for this. We're going to go into that in just about two minutes. Hang with me. But anyway, Andrew says, here's a little boy's lunch, and maybe Jesus smiles at the little boy and reaches down and and takes his food. And, And try to picture this. 
a complete stranger reaches down and takes a kid's food. Let's not rush by this. A stranger is taking a kid's lunch. And nobody knows what is going on. Not even the 12 disciples. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks. Now, I was trying to think of an equivalent that would help us to understand how silly this had to seem to the crowd. Five loaves, two fish. Feed 20,000 plus people. And, And here's maybe an equivalent that you can relate to. It would be like Sort of like my coming in here today with one of those foot-long corn dogs from the picnic. How many of you got one of those foot-long corn dogs? Anybody? Okay, a few of you did. Um, But coming in with a foot-long corn dog and, and holding it up and saying, okay, before we all share this one corn dog, let's bow our heads and and give thanks. And so after he did. After he did, they distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. So it must have been an all-you-could-eat buffet, as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Now, I don't know how long this took. I have a feeling it took several hours. Now, some years ago, uh, you know, the Promise Keeper conferences were going on, and and some of us went to those conferences, and, and their Arrowhead Stadium, they had 70,000 men, and they fed every one of us in less than an hour. But this probably wasn't like that. It probably took several hours. Verse 12, when they had all, when they had, all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted, which is probably one of the reasons that your mama said to finish, thing, finish everything on your plate. Don't waste anything, because there are starving kids in Africa that would love to have this. Remember that? Now, let, let me insert this and, and, and say I realize that there are skeptics. When it comes to this miracle, they're, they're skeptics, and, and they try to dismiss this miracle, and they say, well, what really happened was this, that you know, most everybody had brought their own lunch, because that's what you did in that time. There were no restaurants. And, and so once the little boy shared his lunch, they all got out their lunch and maybe shared it with a few others that didn't bring theirs. But there's one problem with this theory, and that's that nobody in this great crowd of 20,000 people said that happened. So I think we should just go with what the people who were there said. Verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, this is super interesting to me. For a brief moment, and it only lasted a moment because they would get hungry again, but while their tummies are full, for a brief moment, they they take their minds off of themselves, and, and they look at this man with spiritual eyes, and they say, surely this has to be the prophet that we've been told about, the Messiah that would come. And for just a brief moment, it seemed that they got it, that Jesus was more than just a man and might actually be Messiah. But then the next, very next verse, they reverted back to what they could get out of this man and says, Jesus saw that they were ready to take him by force and make him, make him king. So, so he read their minds. He heard the chatter. Why did they want a king? Not to serve him, but to free them from Rome. 
Now, let me try to connect the dots that I talked about earlier. Remember the random detail, the Passover being near? Just kind of out of the clear blue, talking about crossing over, eh, the Passover's near. And remember how John focused on the 5,000 men without mentioning the women and children? Here's what I wonder, and here's what some scholars wonder. If after this miracle of feeding this crowd with 5,000 men, that they began to think, hmm, you have 5,000 men in this crowd, which happen to be the equivalent of a Roman legion of soldiers. And, and so what if, what if these 5,000 men started marching around the Sea of Galilee with their new miracle-working king leading the way, and, and everybody is shouting, down with Rome and up with Israel. And because they hated the Romans, this movement was sure to generate momentum quickly. And maybe by the time that march left Galilee, the 5,000 men might have doubled in numbers. And, and maybe by the time they were halfway to Jerusalem, it might have tripled. And then maybe by the time they got to the gates of, of Jerusalem, they would be the equivalent of four Roman legions led by Jesus on a stallion. The, the people had to be imagining, you know, as they saw this miracle working man, they had to be imagining the whole country coming together and Messiah dramatically liberating them from the Romans. And then, to top things off, I just wonder if in their minds they were envisioning this happening on the biggest day of celebration of the entire year, the day of Passover, which John tells us wasn't far away. Well, they were indeed right that Jesus would lead a crowd through the gates of Jerusalem during Passover, but it would not be that Passover. It would be Passover of a different year, and he would not be coronated, rather he would be crucified. But he did receive a crown, a crown of thorns. And Jesus knew that their support for him, you know, as he heard the chatter and read their minds, it had little to do with their love for him. Rather, it had everything to do with what they could get out of him. And that must have troubled him. Because I don't know if you've ever noticed right after that, right after they were trying to take him by force to be their king, it said, Last part of verse 15, so he went higher into the hills alone. It was like, they don't get it. I've got to get away for a little bit. Well, that evening the disciples got in a boat to go across the lake to Capernaum, and Jesus must have still needed time alone to pray and process, and so he didn't join them. On the way across the sea, after it got dark, a storm came up, and the disciples were rowing like crazy to save their lives, and, and all of a sudden in this storm, they see this figure approaching in the dark, walking on the water, and as you can imagine, they were terrified. Verse 20, he said to them, Jesus said to them, it's I. They're terrified. He said, it's I. Don't be afraid. Verse 21, then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately, and that's always intrigued me, immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Just like that. 
How did that happen? Here they are. We don't know where they were in, in, in the Sea of Galilee, but they were fighting for their lives against this storm. And, and Jesus shows up, and then immediately they're there. That would have been so cool. Well, the next day, you guessed that the people, you know, they found out where Jesus is. They again hit his way. And the crowd this day, no doubt, was even bigger than the 20,000-person crowd of the day before. Why? Because they had all heard about the free food. But little do they know that he's about to thin out the crowd. In fact, he's about to even thin out some of his followers. Um, He's going to call them out. And you know what? In, In so doing... I think he called me out, and I think he called some of you out. Let me try to explain this. You know, as long as this is about us as children racing to the door, Daddy, Daddy, what did you bring me? Did you bring me a surprise? So what, what, what blessing are you going to give me today as, as long as that is our attitude towards God? You know, God, bless me, bless my family, bless all of us, keep us all healthy and safe and If that's the sum of our following Christ, I think Jesus will call us out. And that was certainly the attitude of the crowd. And so in verse 26, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, you're just after free food. And then he tries to instruct them, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you on him. God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And and so Jesus is saying, you really don't get it. You don't realize what's going on. Yes, I am part of a revolution, but it's way bigger than just retaking the land from Rome. It's a revolution for your souls. It's a revolution to help you go from darkness to light. It's a revolution to save you from your sins. It's a revolution to take you from judgment to salvation, from hell to heaven. It's a revolution that will affect your eternity. But all you can think about is lunch. And so in verse 30, they asked him, well, what miraculous sign will you then give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And, you know, this is so unbelievable. Just a few hours earlier, they had witnessed a miracle where a little boy's lunch fed 20,000 people, and and they had the gall to say, Jesus, if you'll just do one more miracle, one more surprise, one more trick, we will believe in you. You know, we're close. Just do one more sign. And I wonder if this is where some of us are living today. You know, Jesus, I've got this little request here. If you would just do this for me, then I would do this for you. Or if you would just heal so-and-so, then I will give up my addiction. I'm not sure that anybody would be honest enough to admit it, but I have a feeling that bargaining is a regular part of our prayer life. You know, God, if you will, then I will. And any time we say anything close to that, any time we try to bargain with him, we're just like the crowds 
following Jesus. And look what they say next in verse 31. Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, and as it's written, he gave them, catch this bread from heaven to eat, and back to food. And Jesus had to be thinking, good grief. All you can think about is free food. You know, unfortunately, some of us always look at our friendships or we look at our marriage and, you know, association with the church or whatever as to how we can profit from it personally. You know, what can I get out of this friendship? Or, or if I do this for my spouse, what will they do for me? So I was studying this. I was reminded of Naaman in the Old Testament. He came to Elisha, was healed from his leprosy, and he wanted to pay Elisha for his healing. And Elisha said, no, I didn't heal you. God did. I, I'm not going to accept any payment. No way. And well, Naaman left. And, but not long after he had left, Elisha's servant Gehazi began to think, hmm, I think I want to take advantage of this situation. And so he slipped out secretly without Elisha knowing it. He caught up with Naaman and he lied. He said, well, my master thought it over and had second thoughts. He decided to accept a gift from you after all. Well, Naaman thought he was telling the truth and gave him some silver and fine clothing. Gehazi went and took it and hid it. And everything seemed to be okay except for the fact that God tipped off Elisha about it. And do you remember Gehazi's punishment for lying? He came down with leprosy for the rest of his life. Gehazi wanted to take advantage of the situation for personal gain. Instead of giving God honor and glory, he thought, you know what, I'd like to profit from this. And I know there's a balance here because some people will take advantage of your goodwill, but I but don't think that you always have to receive something for serving. Don't think that you will always get something in return. You may invite someone over. They may never reciprocate. You may do something for someone else. They may never do anything back. And many of you get that. Thank you to all of you who, who volunteer and joyfully do things without expecting anything in return, you, re you realize that the delayed payment in heaven will be tax-free. And the amount you get there will be much greater than the payment you could receive here. You know, sometimes we do things to get noticed here. And, and whenever somebody notices our service, that's our payment right there. That's what the Bible says. But when nobody notices then we're storing up our treasures and we'll receive our payment in heaven, which I think is going to be a lot better than somebody who said, boy, good job. But these men and women around the Sea of Galilee, they're standing in the presence of the creator of the universe and, and all they can think about is how we can leverage this man's miracle working power to benefit us personally. And so Jesus called them out. And for a lot of them, and this is tragic, but for a lot of them, this moment became a turning point, not for good, but because when you read a little later on in this chapter, in verse 66, it said, from this time, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Did you catch that? Many. In other words, they decided to unfollow Jesus. Once they realized the free food was gone, once they realized he wasn't going to give them surprises, they walked away. So what, 
What about you? Yeah, let me ask you again. What about you? What about me? Oh, do we call ourselves Christians for what we can get out of God? Do we try to do good things and try to not do bad things because we think God will reward us for it? Would you listen to this? If we would seek God and not the things that he can give us, here's what would happen. We would see our relationship with Jesus go to a deeper level and become more authentic. And talk about blessings. You're worried about blessings? Well, God would give us more of himself. And and more of Jesus is way better than just a free lunch. So every day could we embrace the words of the Apostle Paul where he said in Romans 12, 1, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, and catch the emotion there, I beg with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. And when you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? So could we get up every morning and say, Heavenly Father, here are my hands, <laughs> here are my feet, and my eyes, and my mind, my resources, and yeah, God, here, here even are some burdens that I'm carrying, some of my pain, and but I'm giving it all to you, and I'm making myself available to you. And, and even though, God, you, you, you told us to come to you and ask, and there is a place and a time for that, but maybe there might be a few days to where we'll say, God, when I think about it, I, I really don't need anything right now, except I just need more of you. And when we have a shift in attitude like that, here's what will happen. We will elevate God to more than just a free lunch and more than just a food truck. And then this verse that John wrote four chapters later will begin to make sense. John chapter 10, 10, you know it. It says, I've come that they may have life. And I, I, I think a lot of us here this morning, we have life, but He goes on and says, have it to the full, or another translation says, have it more abundantly. And so I think a lot of Christians, we have life, but I'm not sure if we know what it is to have the abundant life, because we're seeking the stuff that God can give instead of seeking God himself. I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where it says, Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then do you remember how that verse ends up? And all of these and all of these other things will be added unto you. So whenever we seek God, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then God says, Son, daughter, let me just let me show you what I can really do. And let me show you some blessings. So I've been praying that this week we would begin to have a shift in the way that we pray. And I pray that God would help me this week and that we would seek Him. And yes, He tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace and He wants us to ask and and He's pleased by that. But sometimes I think we're more concerned about the stuff He gives us. So this week, could we just seek Jesus? 
And in the end, he will give you more than you could ever have imagined. And you know what that is? That's the gift of himself. So I want to I know Jesus in a new way, a fresh way. I want to be able to look at my prayer time as time to just seek Jesus, not just the stuff that he gives. And we, when we do that, uh, I think our relationship with Jesus is going to be so much deeper, much more authentic, much more real. And we will have not only life, but we'll have it more abundantly. Can we pray together? Oh, God, this lesson that is so familiar, we've all heard the story. Lord, we've all heard about the loaves and the fish. But God, I pray that we would not be like that crowd that's just seeking surprises and tricks and blessings, but Lord, that we would seek you, that we would give ourselves as a living sacrifice. And God, we know that you're going to bless us. You're going to bless us beyond imagination. But Lord, let us seek you. Let us seek you. And so, God, I pray that as we just have our quiet time this week, as we have our prayer time, that, Lord, we would find ourselves just consecrating ourselves and seeking you. And, and Lord, whenever the needs come up, that, yes, we would ask you for things, but, God, more than that, that we would ask you for more of you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for this amazing account that you put in your word. Lord, thank you for the truths that, you help me to maybe understand this week that I've never understood. Let us go from here. Seekers of Jesus Christ as never, ever before. I pray this in your name. Amen. Here's a promise to you. I believe if we will make this shift, this week we're going to experience Jesus in a way we've never experienced him before. I'm looking forward to meeting back here next Sunday and just sharing what God has done for us. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.